What's up, everybody? My name is Athena, and you're here to listen to Vanished in the Valley. So today, we're going to talk about PayPal. We're also going to talk about Project Stargate, which was funded by the CIA. And I'm also going to tell you about some newly released data by the CDC, which is showing nearly a third of people who got vaccinated experienced significant adverse events. And it took the CDC over a year to release this information due to a FOIA request. Fucking bullshit. We may talk about some other random shit, but before we get into all that, I know this episode is getting out kind of late. I had originally planned on getting it out on Thursday, but me and Garrett ended up going to the Aftershock Festival in Sacramento. If you're not familiar what Aftershock is, it's like a four-day festival, and each day the grounds open at 10 a.m., and they close at 10 p.m., and it's just like a couple different stages and bands playing all fucking day and most of the night, but it was just like, it was packed. There was over 100,000 people there. It was lines for everything. It's like a 45-minute line at the merch table. And it was fucking hot. It was like 96 degrees. But I thought I would check it out anyway, because why not? So I just, I don't know, I checked it out. And um, I guess maybe if there were like bands that were more to my type of music, I may have like been all about it. But I don't know, just when you're dealing with that many fucking people in one area, I start to get annoyed pretty quickly. But everyone else seemed to enjoy themselves. So if that's your thing, go for it. But yeah, it was fucking hot and I was kind of sick that day, so I just wasn't feeling it. But I was happy I got to go. So that's what's up. And yeah, that's why this episode is so late this week. So check this out. PayPal actually released a new terms of service. I think it was yesterday. And in that terms of service, they said they could fine users $2,500 for spreading, quote, misinformation. PayPal has backtracked now and it says it was just an accident. We didn't mean to do that. Bull fucking shit. So hell of people started closing their accounts. Former PayPal president, David Marcus, even blasted the company. He wrote on Twitter, it's hard for me to openly criticize a company I used to love and gave so much to. But PayPal's new AUP goes against everything I believe in. A private company now gets to decide to take your money if you say something they disagree with insanity. Well, yeah, dude, I'll have to agree with you. And that's just the fucking tip of the iceberg. This is just straight up blatant. I guess they didn't think people were going to fucking say, fuck you or closing our accounts because that's exactly what happened. And even media got in on it and were like being extremely critical of this in new terms of service. But check this part out. This is the weird part. The new conditions were scheduled to be added to the restricted activity section of the PayPal user agreement effective November 3rd. The changes included prohibitions on the, quote, sending, posting, or publication of any message, content, or materials that promote misinformation. While the prior policy had already forbid hate, intolerance, and discrimination, the new one would have explicitly applied to specific protected groups, and individuals or groups based on protected characteristics. Identities under this umbrella included race, religion, gender, or gender identity, and sexual orientation. Now, November 3rd, that sounds uh, really close to fucking election time, right? So a little bit more about breaking their rules. Check this out. They can subject you to damages, including liquidated damages of 2500 U.S. dollars per violation which may be debited directly from your PayPal account, the company had originally warned. 
In the user agreement, account holders accept and attest that penalty is, quote, presently a reasonable minimum estimate of PayPal's actual damages due to the expense the firm incurs by accounting for the violations as well as damage to its reputation. And PayPal's kind of been on one recently. They banned Gays Against Groomers, which is a group composed of LGBT identifying people that claim to call attention to the sexualization and medicalization of children via gender ideology and transgender movement. Once that happened, minutes later, PayPal's subsidiary Venmo reportedly barred the organization from access. Evolutionary biologist Colin Wright and journalist Ian Miles Chong who regularly expose the dangers of transgenderism for minors, have also been removed. So it just sounds like PayPal is going through and cleaning house with anyone that has an audience, that has like a pretty decent-sized platform, and fucking canceling them. So what I think everybody should do is cancel your fucking PayPal accounts. I would totally do it, but I canceled mine fucking years ago because fuck you, PayPal. So you guys, if you have a PayPal account, find something else. Use Cash App or something that isn't fucking cutting people off from their money supplies. Fucking crazy. If we keep letting corporations like this dictate what quote unquote misinformation is, it's going to get really ugly really quickly. Now we're going to move on to the newly released CDC data that shows nearly a third of people who got vaccinated experienced significant adverse events. So apparently there was a vaccine safety monitoring program and anytime somebody was injured or whatever, they would enter it into this database. And this is not VAERS. This is specifically a CDC database. The data came from vSafe, which is a voluntary smartphone-based program created by the CDC specifically to monitor the effects of the COVID-19 vaccines. Basically, people had to sign up and simply download the app onto their phones, register, and provide periodic health check-ins after receiving the COVID-19 vaccination. In June 2021, the Informed Consent Action Network filed two lawsuits, you guys, for the vSafe data to be made public. Lawyers Aaron Siri and Elizabeth A. Brim were the ones that were trying to get this information out. So following months and months of legal bullshit, the CDC finally gave up the info when a court ordered the agency to produce the data. According to Siri and Brem, the lawyers that are on this whole thing, the data produced thus far by the CDC is limited because vSafe only provides users with a limited number of fields to choose from when reporting health concerns. vSafe also provides users with a free text fields where they can write down more detailed descriptions of their health concerns. And the data contained in these free text fields have not been made public. Siri and Brim have stated they will continue to litigate to obtain this data and more. So now, some time for some lovely numbers. Approximately 10.108 million people signed up for vSafe and voluntarily reported their health following the Kabobo jabs. Of those 10.108 million people, 3.353 million, around 33% of all participants, reported being impacted by the Kabobo shots. Of the people who reported being impacted, 1.226 million people, aka 12.13% of all participants, reported being unable to do normal daily activities because of the jab. Another 1.344 million, which is 13%, of all vSafe participants, reported being unable to do work or attend school because of the jabs. 
7.7% of the people who sign up for VSAFE, which is 782,913 people, reported requiring medical attention, emergency room intervention, hospitalization, or other care from a doctor or healthcare professional because of the jabs. Now check this out. 71 million symptoms or an average of more than seven symptoms per VSAFE user were reported. One of the most common symptoms was joint pain, with around 4 million VSAFE users experiencing it. Other symptoms noted by VSAFE users include fatigue, muscle or body aches, headaches, abdominal pain, other kinds of pain, swelling, chills, nausea, redness, itching, diarrhea, vomiting, irritability, drowsiness, loss of appetite, rash outside the injection site, in the groin, or underarm area. And this is the most fucking sick part. Around 13,000 infants under two years old were also registered in VSAFE. The parents and guardians of these infants reported over 33,000 symptoms, you guys, with the most common being irritability, sleeplessness, pain, and loss of appetite. So there you have it. The fucking CDC had been aware of, you know, bad reactions from this jab and in extremely high numbers. The numbers are so high that if this were any other normal vaccine, this shit would have been discontinued on day fucking two. But they need those Kabobo dollars. So now it's change of subject time. I was uh, reading on this website called ancient-origins.net and I came across an article entitled Did Humans Walk the Earth with Dinosaurs? Triceratops horn dated to 33,500 years. So basically, the horn was discovered in Dawson County, Montana, and has been dated to around 33,500 years. I mean, most of us have the idea or opinion dinosaurs died out about 65 million years ago. So if this finding is correct, it suggests that early humans may have once walked the earth with the dinosaurs. The horn was excavated in May 2012 and stored at the Glen Dive Dinosaur and Fossil Museum. What seems to have gone down was the museum sent a very small sample to the Paleochronology Group, which is a team of consultants in geology, paleontology, chemistry, engineering, and education. The museum wanted to carry out a carbon-14 dating. The sample was then sent to the University of Georgia Center for Applied Isotope Studies, for this purpose. The sample was divided at the lab into two fractions with quote bulk or collagen breakdown products yielding an average of 33,570 years old and the carbonite fraction of the bone bioapatate yielding an age of 41,000 years old. The head of the paleochronology group Hugh Miller says it's always desirable to carbon 14 date several fractions to minimize the possibility of error. A little background on the Triceratops. Its name means three-horned face. According to mainstream scientists, they say the Triceratops went extinct about 66 million years ago. But the scientists from the paleochronology group who performed all the research I was just talking to you about, and they also research things relating to, quote, anomalies of science maintain that the dinosaur did not die out millions of years ago and that there is substantial evidence that they were still alive as recently as 23,000 years ago. Until recently, carbon-14 dating wasn't even used to test dinosaur bones because the analysis is only reliable up to 55,000 years. So most scientists never considered even doing it because they thought it would just be completely wrong. 
The paleochronology group states, It became clear years ago that paleontologists were not just neglecting to test dinosaur bones for C14 content, but were refusing to do it. Normally, a good scientist will be curious about the ages of important fossil bones. The leader of that group, Miller, says numerous C14 tests have now been carried out on dinosaur bones, and surprisingly, they all returned results dating back in the thousands rather than the millions of years. He went on to say, quote, I organized the paleochronology group in 2003 to fill a void with regards to fossil wood and dinosaur bones, as I was curious as to their age by C14 dating. We thus have used C14 dating to solve the mystery why soft tissue and dinosaur depictions exist worldwide. And I believe he's talking about like cave paintings. Our model predicted dinosaur bones would have significant C14 and indeed they did in a range of 22,000 to 39,000 years BP. Obviously the find goes against the mainstream scientific view by paleontologists and geologists who assert dinosaurs lived anywhere from 220 million to 65 million years ago. And they say Homo sapiens did not appear until about 200,000 years ago. Now, on a little side note, there have been sightings of what people call dinosaurs for thousands of years. I actually covered it on some cryptoid episode. I talked about Mkele Mbembe, who is an African cryptoid, which they basically say looks like a dinosaur. And I've even heard of dinosaurs running around in the jungles of Venezuela. And there's hell of cave paintings out there. How would these fucking primitive cave people even know what the fuck a dinosaur is? They, I didn't see them excavating shit. They, and even if they did, they'd see a big ass bone. How are they going to fucking draw the shape of a dinosaur? So there may be something to this, but unfortunately... It's never going to get out in the mainstream science because if you say this, if you put this information out there, you have a very good chance of getting blacklisted in your profession. Now, a little bit about the soft tissue I was talking about earlier. Paleontologist Mary Schweitzer and her team announced the discovery of soft tissue inside a 68 million year old Tyrannosaurus rex leg bone from the Hell Creek Formation in Montana. And it was an extremely controversial finding considering scientists had thought soft tissue proteins degrade in less than 1 million years in the best of conditions. So after recovery, the tissue was rehydrated by the science team and testing revealed evidence of intact structures such as blood vessels, bone matrix, and connective tissue. Mark Armitage and Kevin Anderson published results of a microscopic analysis of soft tissue from a triceratops horn in the peer-reviewed journal Acta Histochemica. Mr. Armitage, who is a creationist, claimed that the preservation of cells is scientifically impossible if the dinosaur really walked the earth over 66 million years ago. On this basis, he opened up a discussion with colleagues and students about the implications of such a finding being that the creationist perspective is correct and that dinosaurs existed much later than mainstream science maintains. And right after that, he got fired by the University of California. And that is just like the tip of the iceberg. Previous attempts to publish the C14 test results were repeatedly blocked. Raw data without interpretation was blocked from presentation in a conference proceedings by the 2009 North American Paleontological Convention, the American Geophysical Union in 2011 and 2012, and the Geological Society of America in 2011 and 2012. 
and by the editors of various scientific journals. So they're definitely trying to put a fucking cap on this information. Totally not shocking at all. And I just thought you guys may be interested in that. It kind of reminded me of that book, Forbidden Archaeology by Michael Cremo. I covered it on some episode a hell of days ago. But basically for like seven years, he just went around finding ancient objects that archaeologists had dug up that were basically out of time. You know, he would find human skull bones in an area that the rocks are fucking three million years old. So it's it's very interesting what is actually being found out there versus what the mainstream scientists tell us is going on. It's totally two different pictures. So go check that out at ancient-origins.net if you want to go fully down the rabbit hole because it gets a lot more detailed and there's other instances of scientists being blacklisted and fired when they try to talk about this shit. So it just makes you wonder, like, why do you have to fire these people just because they're bringing up an opinion you don't like? The whole point of science is to find the answers, to not fucking close your eyes or be hostile to an idea. It's all ass backwards now, and literally the science is bought the fuck out by the universities, big pharma, and corporations. That's just about all the fake-ass bought-off science I can handle for one episode. So now we're going to move on to a declassified CIA document in which the agency admitted funding remote viewing experiments under Project Stargate. One document revealed exploring ancient Mars and encountering tall extraterrestrials, while remote viewer Robert Monroe talked about encounters with reptilian humanoids. No shit, you guys. You can go to the CIA vault and read the documents, but I'm going to summarize kind of what I found in them, and you guys make up your own decision. I'll put a link in the show notes and make it really easy for you guys. Just click the link, and it'll bring you to those documents. Most scientists kind of shy away of even fucking looking into, studying, or even talking about remote viewing. The CIA gives zero fucks, so they studied the shit out of it. In the declassified CIA files, they wrote about psychic abilities that were used to spy on Soviet Russia and track down its military activities under Project Stargate. The first test subject project was conducted in the early 70s in a U.S. Army base in Maryland. Basically, this highly classified project was about mind reading of enemies. So the CIA started recruiting people who claimed to, quote, have powers of extrasensory perception, ESP, to help uncover military and domestic intelligence secrets. Here is a name you guys may recognize, Yuri Geller. In the declassified file, it details how Yuri Geller could replicate things drawn by a researcher in another sealed room. As the U.S. government was getting benefits from this program, they continued funding it. Another remote viewer by the name of Angela Delafiora Ford revealed her psychic powers on CBS News program 48 Hours. In 1989, she was asked by the army to psychically track down the location of one man. She located the man in Lowell, Wyoming, and then he was arrested 100 miles west of Wyoming in a town called LaVille. In 2021, John Greenwald Jr. published approximately 2,700 pages of the declassified documents provided by the CIA involving UAP, UFO information. One document that kind of shocked the readers was about Mars. The document titled, quote, Mars Exploration, May 22nd, 1984, basically centers around a subject that made use of astral projection, which helped him observe ancient alien life on Mars. In the document, there is a transcript 
where subject named Joseph McMongiel, a retired U.S. Army veteran, was given an envelope prior to the interview and asked not to open it until the interview ended. According to the CIA's own document, the unnamed psychic described, quote, the planet Mars, time of interest, approximately 1 million years B.C. He claimed to identify that he could see pyramid-like structures on Mars. The subject also added that he witnessed alien life forms on the Martian surface. Now, I'm not even fucking around, you guys. You can go to the CIA vault and read these documents for yourself. But what I'm going to do now is kind of read some of the transcripts for you just so you get an idea of what I'm talking about. So the test subject states, I'm seeing uh, it's like a perception of a shadow of people, very tall, thin. It's only a shadow. It's as if they were there and they are not, not there anymore. The monitor says, go back to a period of time where they are there. The subject states, um, it's like I get a lot of static on a line and everything. It's breaking up all the time, very fragmentary pieces. The monitor replies, just report the data. Don't try to put things together. Just report the raw data. Then the test subject states, I just keep seeing very large people. They appear thin and tall, but they're very large, uh, wearing some kind of strange clothing. Now, according to the date specified in the, quote, Mars Exploration Memo, it was approved to be published only in the year 2000, although it was recorded in 1984. And McMongolay was only remote viewer to be working at that time. He wrote in his book, quote, Mind Trek, about a similar incident mentioned in that memo. If you go to the website CIA.gov, there is a section called Ask Molly. Did CIA really study psychic powers? And it's kind of like, it, it's written as if it's like an advice line, like Dear Gabby or whatever the fuck Dear Abby is. Basically, this person writes in stating, did the CIA really study psychic powers? And they're calling this uh, person Molly. And Molly states, according to our historians, from very early in CIA's history, we had been interested in investigating whether extrasensory perception, ESP, or other paranormal phenomena, generally called parapsychology, exist, and, if so, whether they had the operational uses for intelligence. The earliest record the CIA historians have found on this topic is in a 1948 memorandum speculating on whether hypnotized people could be used for long-distance communication. This Molly person goes on to say, we didn't, however, conduct our own research into psychic phenomena until the summer of 1972. We worked with scientists and researchers to investigate whether certain people could, quote, see locations and objects around the world without actually being there. The ability is known as, quote, remote viewing. Now, this Molly person says the CIA ended the research five years later in 1977, and they turned the program over to the Defense Intelligence Agency, the DIA. The project became known as Stargate, which was actually DIA's initial name for the program. Later, it was renamed Grill Flame. Later on, in the mid-90s, the DIA handed the program back to the CIA. At that time, they agreed to take another look at the program on the condition that an independent study group would evaluate it. Four researchers from the American Institute for Research published their findings in September 1995, and that report is available on the internet. Just go on the internet and search an evaluation of remote viewing, and that will turn up a 183-page document. 
That report's conclusion, which echoed the assessments of the CIA officers involved in the program during the 1970s, was that enough accurate remote viewing experiences existed to defy randomness, but that the phenomena was too unreliable, inconsistent, and sporadic to be useful for intelligence purposes. Now, at the request of Congress, the CIA agreed to review the program and declassify records for the public. The DIA, CIA, and U.S. Army worked closely to gather all the relevant records and then placed the entire collection of declassified records from all three organizations on CIA.gov in the FOIA electronic reading room. And that's what I was telling you guys. You can go fucking get this and you can read through this and I will put a link in the show notes so you can do it because it's a really fucking interesting read. There's a lot of information and like this weird Molly CIA person just said, the amount of people that are like doing the remote viewing or astral projection is way beyond just some random guessing. So there's got to be something to it, especially if all these uh, cloak and dagger government organizations are putting hella money in to study it. And just think, if they're letting us know about this shit, what aren't they letting us know about? I guarantee you there's a lot of other stuff going on that we just don't even have any idea about. On a side note, as far as what that Molly person is or whatever the fuck they're trying to pull... This is the first time I've ever even seen that. And I've been on the CIA vault hella times for hella years. So I'm not sure like what the fuck they're trying to get out with that whole thing. But I guess, I don't know, trying to seem hip and with the times and the crowd. Get the fuck out of here. Your bitch asses need to be abolished. Now, before I get out of here, I'm going to tell you guys about five IRS Fedboy employees accused of stealing COVID relief money and buying Mercedes-Benz, Gucci, and going to Vegas. So apparently these five former IRS employees are being charged with fraud in relation to COVID-19 relief programs. The programs that were allegedly defrauded include the Paycheck Protection Program and Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program as part of the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Securities Act. They literally spent the money on fucking... Cars, luxury goods, trip to Vegas. Now, the first Fed boy is named Michael Salisbury. He's 46 and he lives in Memphis. He is charged with two counts of wire fraud and two counts of money laundering. He's also accused of fraudulently acquiring $171,400 in loans. And he's the D-bag that bought the Mercedes-Benz and deposited the money into a personal investment account. This fool was an IRS employee as a program evaluation and risk analyst in the Human Capital Office. Next, we have Courtney Westmerland. She's accused of submitting multiple fraudulent loan applications which netted her $16,050 in unemployment insurance benefits and another $11,500 in loan funds. She allegedly used the money to purchase luxury clothing. Jesus Christ, these people have no fucking imagination. Moving on to Fatina Hewitt. She's charged one count of wire fraud. She's accused of fraudulently obtaining $28,900 in loan funds on behalf of a purported fashion business. She spent the money on Gucci clothing and a trip to Vegas. Hewitt was an employee by the IRS as a management and program assistant in information technology. Now, this one seems a bit strange. It's Roderick DeMarco White II, who's 27 years old. He's accused of submitting four fraudulent loan applications, which netted him $66,666 in loan funds. 
just like the other little fed boys and girls. He spent the money on personal items, including a Gucci satchel. Now, last but not least, we have Tina Humes. She was charged with one count of wire fraud. She's accused of submitting four fraudulent loan applications, which netted her $123,612 in loan funds. She spent the money on jewelry and trips to Vegas. Now, each count of wire fraud comes with a maximum penalty of 20 years in prison, and money laundering carries a maximum 10 years in prison. Now, I guarantee there are other IRS motherfuckers and other politicians that broke the rules that saw a fucking opportunity to get all these PPP loans and fucking scam the government out of our tax dollars. So, I don't know. I hope they keep investigating this shit and getting these fed boys and prosecuting them. Now we've come to the section of the podcast where I have to say what's up to the top three downloading states. California is in first place, then we have New York and Texas. What's up, guys? I appreciate you all downloading. Thank you very much. Shoot me a line at vanishingthevalley@gmail.com at gmail.com if you want information on any of the subjects I've talked about or if you have a rabbit hole you think I should be diving down. As far as our international listeners, we have Australia, the UK, Canada, and Mexico. What's up, guys? Thank you. I appreciate the downloads. And hey, Mexico, what's up? This is the first time you are on the top four. Thank you so much for listening. So that's about it for this week, you guys. Like I always tell you, be aware and don't forget your pepper spray. Ciao, ciao. (laughs) 